I'm Aubrey Henderson. I'm a recovering people pleaser turned self-worth coach, here to help you befriend your inner critic, break up with people pleasing, and reconnect with your desire. Every week, I share my answers to your questions, live coaching sessions, interviews, and more to help you reconnect with your self-worth. Have you ever felt stuck in your life and just needed a really fucking good pep talk? Well, babe, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Ask Aubrey. I'm so glad you're here. Hey babes, welcome to this week's episode. This week I'm really excited to share a conversation that my wife Laura and I had with Marissa Whelan. So Marissa is the foster care recruitment specialist at the foster agency that Laura and I work with here in New York. Um, It's called New Alternatives for Children. And we wanted to have this conversation with her basically for the benefit of anyone who has ever been curious about foster care or wondered if they have what it takes to become a foster parent or maybe just wanted to hear more about the experience of fostering and what that process looks like. That's why we have this conversation. And so I know, you know, Laura and I have done a few episodes about this topic before and kind of our journey to becoming foster parents. Um, But this conversation today, I think, really benefits from the added perspective and information that Marissa offers from her seat and her professional role, which is something that we haven't had in those previous episodes. So please take a listen, share this episode with someone in your life who you think would make an awesome foster parent or who you think might want to learn more. And then you can check out the show notes um, for links to the different resources that are mentioned throughout the episode, ways to get involved if if you're in New York City with New Alternatives for Children. Um, and then also our contact info um, for me and for Marissa. So don't be a stranger. If you have questions about things, please reach out. Okay, so without further ado, here is our conversation with Marissa. Um, Marissa, thank you so much for, for taking the time to sit down and, and talk with us about foster care. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Of course. And, um, you know, I anybody who's listened to the podcast before probably has heard an episode, Laura and I've done a couple talking about how we became foster parents, what our kind of experience has been as foster parents. Um, But we would love to first hear just from you, like what, what brings you into foster care? What is your role in foster care? If you could just tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds cliche, but like all my life, I've really loved working with kids and I've just had a passion for kids in foster care, just wanting to help them and wanting to better the system. Um, And I had specifically a teacher in high school who was a foster parent, and we just really connected over that. Um, So I think that drew me more into wanting to work in foster care. Um, So when I declared my major as social work in undergrad, I knew that that was always the route I wanted to go at first and to start off in foster care. Um, So I got really lucky right out of grad school, my first job is at New Alternatives in foster care. Um, And specifically my role here is I'm the foster parent recruitment specialist. So what I do is I um, work with any individual who inquires to become a foster parent, whether that be they're just looking for more information or they're ready to get the process started. Um, And then what that entails is just going through some phone screening questions to make sure they meet like all the quote unquote criteria and requirements that is necessary to become a foster parent and then kind of just get the process started with orientations and getting them set up for the licensing process. So that's essentially what I do at NAC. Nice. Amazing. And just for folks who don't who don't know, NAC or New Alternatives for Children is the foster care agency we work with in New York. So if you're in the New York City area, we definitely that we like speak very highly of NAC all the time. We have had a really good experience. And I think, you know, talking to to folks who are foster parents with other agencies, it's it it's not as consistent what the experience is. So, um, yeah, and I, you know, Laura and I became foster parents in we were certified what in 2018. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so, you know, you would have been you weren't at NAC yet, I don't believe, but at that point, but you would have been kind of like our first point of yeah. of contact. Um, and you know, that was one of our really memorable experiences at NAC was sort of that. like going through the orientation, asking the questions, all of that. Um, Would you, Laura, would you want to give like a, just a little, like, what's your couple of sentences about like, yeah, uh, our journey as becoming foster parents? Yeah, well, and it's really interesting to hear that your connection was, was through a high school teacher. I feel like that's how so many people get connected to 
however they're involved with foster care in a supportive way is, is because we knew someone. So for yeah. me, uh, my dad was an adoption attorney and I kind of grew up knowing about the system and knowing the need for people to show up to love and care. Um, and uh, for you, AJ, uh, your mom ended up becoming a foster parent and that was really impactful, especially right before we decided to, to go for it ourselves. Yeah. Um, we also had the benefit of having a really good friend who works at NAC. <laughs> so yes. we had an in there and that's how we got connected to the specific agency. You know, if you go on the ACS website, they'll just like direct you to the agency in your neighborhood or like, because the city's divided up into catchment areas and all of that kind of jargon. But, um, but NAC can serve in all of the boroughs. So because of the special medical program mm -hmm. um and so we decided to to go for that um yeah yeah and we've been you know we've been foster parents like like we were saying since 2018 so that's coming up on four years now which is wild I mean four years ago right now we were in the process of like going through training mm -hmm. and awesome. all of that which you know we'll talk about in a minute right but just to just to orient folks who are listening maybe and you know that you could be listening to this and have never heard an episode of the podcast before. And so you don't necessarily know that, but Laura and I, this is my wife, we are foster parents currently to two kiddos. And then, um, you know, Marissa uh, works in recruitment at our foster care agency. And so we are basically here today to kind of answer some questions and talk a little bit about foster care and demystify that a little bit for anybody who maybe is curious about it or who is interested in becoming a foster parent um, and just like doesn't really know where to start. And so I sourced some questions just from my Instagram story, right? I asked folks like, what do you wish you knew about foster care? Or, you know, I have actually a lot of connections on Instagram who are foster parents. So like, I also asked, what do you wish that you would have known or someone would have told you? So I have a couple of questions like that. So I figure we can just jump in with, with some of those questions, right? Um, so, you know, one question that came up a lot is basically like, what what resources do I need to have in place in order to sign up to become a foster parent? So the one person said like material resources, emotional resources, relational resources. And this is a friend who like works in social services, you can tell. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, like what, what do I need to have as a person and in my life structure in order to be a foster parent? Mm -hmm. And I would love um, to say your take on that. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely, it's definitely important to have supports in your own life in your own community that can like be there for you when you are a foster parent um of course NAC provides a ton of support to our foster parents and our children um but it's also just always nice to know that you also have people that you know and that you're previously connected with that can support you um so at NAC for example we require when you're becoming a foster parent that you list at least two backups. Um, so what those are just trusted adults in your life who you feel comfortable with caring for the child. If something were to come up and you need them or you know you just need that extra support for them to watch the child when you want a night out or you're stuck at work late and you can't pick up the child from school, things like that. Um, so in terms of supports, I think knowing that you have people in your life aside from our agency workers um, who can support you through this process I mean, being a parent, I am not a parent, but I can assume that being a parent is very difficult and definitely being a foster parent is just as difficult. Um, and for our kids who have the special medical and behavioral health needs, it can be a lot. Um, so those supports are very important. In terms of other things that are needed to become a foster parent, um, basic requirements are just that you are at least 21 years old, you have adequate living space for the child, so the child has to be in a bedroom, which is considered a room with a door and a window. Um, children can share bedrooms, but that's just all based on age, gender, and just living situations like that. Um, you have to have a documented form of income that you can show proof of. So whether that be a pay stub, social security, public assistance, if you receive food stamps, things like that. Um, and that's pretty much it in terms of what you need to start the process. Um, we try our very best to be very accommodating in terms of like, if you need 
a crib for a baby, if there's like an emergency placement, we can work with ACS to try and give you those sort of resources. But we do ask if you are becoming a foster parent um, that you at least have a bed in a room for the child before placement. Um, like if you know that you are looking to become a foster parent, we do ask that you have at least that. But we try our very best to provide as many resources as we can to our foster parents that are in need of anything. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, totally. We've definitely experienced that. And I would just add to that, I think, you know, a lot of people, their question is like, am I enough as a human for what these vulnerable kids and families need? Mm. And I think the biggest thing is you have to go into it with a mindset of being open and being flexible and being willing to see where the adventure takes you (laughs) and um, you get trained you get these you know practical supports like you're talking about Marissa but you also have to just roll with it kids are unpredictable families are unpredictable the system can be unpredictable and so there's a lot of collaboration and communication that you end up managing and participating in throughout all of the the process aspect you know I like to say foster care the kid part is easy the grown-up stuff is hard so um -hmm. falling in love with a kid is so easy wanting to be a parent wanting to nurture uh is fun and delightful but you're in a lot of meetings you're in a lot of conversations you have people coming to your house and so you have to kind of be willing to open yourself up to that Totally. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it's having some degree of flexibility, right? Like, and whether that's, you know, we are, we are in a position where we both have in different ways, flexibility with like our work schedules, right? We both have, and from the beginning have had employers that were supportive of us becoming foster parents and, and really kind of encouraging that for us. And I think it is knowing that like it, and I will say like, I, if you are working with an agency that is supportive, which New Alternatives for Children is one of those agencies, then you are going to have supports available to you that part of your role is to coordinate those. So like, I think about the fact that like every six months we have um, what's called a family team conference for each of our kids, right? And we check in with all of their providers and our kids both have a robust team of providers that are supporting them, which in many ways is a great thing. And in many ways, it's also a thing that we have to account for in how we set up our lives, right? Like, I, I think every day of a routine week, each of our kids has an appointment, right? Like, it's, those are things that we manage, but that are of great benefit to our kids. We're also the type of, we joke about being the type of foster parents who will never say no to a service offered to our kids. Like, our kids have, our kids each have a, an individual therapist that is offered through New Alternatives. They each, um, or one of our children has a behavior specialist that he works with. Another of our children does dyadic play therapy, both with us and a therapist, and then also with biological family and a therapist, right? For some kids, there are family visits that you have to coordinate. So some of those things are going to vary kid to kid. But I think like, on the one hand, those are things that you have to be able to have the space in your life to coordinate and accommodate those. And on the other hand, that is a sign of robust support from the agency you're working with. And so it's like, you know, there's like certainly pros and cons to that. I don't even want to say it's a con. It's not a bad thing to have all these services, but it is something that you have to set up your life to be able to make those things work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, talking with people who inquire, if you are someone who works, you can absolutely be a foster parent with us. We would never turn anyone away based on whether you're working or not, but it is definitely like you guys were saying, it's something to take into consideration because our children are in the system with comes with a lot of different Um, you know, appointments and court, maybe things like that. But especially because our children do have medical needs or behavioral health needs, they will have, you know, different specialists that they're seeing throughout New York City that can account for different appointments throughout the week that they have to get to. So, you know, that's definitely something that we talk about early on in the process so that people can make an informed decision about, is this a good fit for me? Um, So yeah, that's definitely something that we take into consideration for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm looking at the other questions that kind of are about, about this piece, right? Somebody asked kind of specifically, like, does my home have to meet certain requirements? Like you said, Marissa, in, you know, at least in New York, my understanding is it's probably different from, from state to state. Right. And so it's going to depend. But if you're in New York, the requirement really is that 
the child has a bed inside of a bedroom with a door and a window, which is something that you really have to, as people who have looked at apartments in New York City, yeah. that is something to take into consideration, Definitely. right? They will, yeah. they will call a room a bedroom, but it does not have a window. Um, and it cannot be a skylight either. Skylight doesn't count as a window. Just fun facts. Um, so, but that's something where, you know, the person who asked that is not, I know, is not located in New York. So it's going to vary from state to state, right? Yeah. But, um, you know, someone also asked uh, to know about the emotional toll that foster care can take on you, which Ooh. I'm... <laughs> what a question. Okay, now that you made that sound though, now you have to answer it. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> oh no, the emotional toll. I mean... The thing, the beautiful thing about foster care is the goal is to care for the whole family, right? And like the system is set up where reunification of a family is the first project, it's the first task. So there's not, the goal is not for ACS to be removing kids from parents and then just assuming they're never going to get back together. But because of that, there's something called concurrent planning where the agency is having to work with bio family to see if they can, you know, work out whatever the challenges were and have their kids back in their care and custody. And then you're the foster parent falling in love with these kids, knowing that there's potential that their hearts are broken because it's not going to work out with bio family. And you also may, your heart might be broken in that one, their heart is broken and two, um, they may return and leave your care. Um, so there's, it's a roller coaster. And yeah. I'd say it's something over the years that gets better as a foster parent. Like you learn to manage all of the ambiguity that comes with concurrent planning. The fact that we are planning to be your permanent resource potentially and your permanent parent while bio family is still working on it. Um, and I think the first two years that was really hard for us because yeah. it was a roller coaster of emotions. We thought we'd be adopting one day and then we were, one of our kids uh, returned to one of his parents. So we've had that kind of lost moment where uh, one of our kids moved away, right? Yeah. And, um, and have to grieve that. And it's like a real grief process because we love all of our kids right and in our heads it's still our kid um and so that's it's it but you know the the what is that quote from like the wandavision where it's like grief is just love enduring yes <laughs> mm -hmm. yep yep um, you you would be quoting wandavision right now. Just, <laughs> thank you i just love that line though because you know the the flip side of the emotional toll is all of the love and joy and delight. I mean, the other day, our kids heard the ice cream truck out the window, and we just decided to spontaneously chase after it. And we went to the park, and it was like one of those warm days, like it was surprisingly warm. And one of our kids was dressed for like a frozen tundra, and one of our kids was dressed like it was 98 degrees. <laughs> And we ended up going all, we had like chased the ice cream truck all the way to the park. And then we just stayed at the park for a while. And it's like, there's so much joy in that and silliness. And, you know, you get those special moments of helping a kid go to bed. And you also get the special moments of like seeing the delight of a bio parent to get to see their kid again and seeing how much they love their kids and yeah. whatever the... Yeah issues of poverty and their own trauma or whatever, you know, got in the way. Um, there's still so much love and bond and natural, you know, affection yeah. <laughs> within a family and you get to witness and hold space for that too. So it's, it's a gift as much as it's a burden. Yeah. It's, um, and what I will say too, is also just that like, we've had now we've had how many kids have we had in our home at this point? Like five, five. Yeah. Um, and you know, we have seen, we have had one of our children who was with us for two years be reunified with his biological parent and in that be separated from a sibling, right. Who is still with us. So there's like heartbreak and joy in that, you know, completely. We have a child who came to us and already had, you know, his biological parents 
parental rights had been terminated. And so from, from the moment he moved in, it was known that we were planning to adopt and kind of seeing his process with that. But the, you know, the commonality with all of our kids is that they still are very much connected to and in touch with and love their biological families and loved by their biological families. And I think a lot of people think about and go into, not necessarily go into, but a lot of people think about the idea of foster care and think like, oh, let me like do like a nice thing for a kid. And like some people go into it, I think with a savior mentality, I think it's like the slightly spicy thing I'll say here. Like people will go into it thinking that and also, or thinking like, this is a way that this kid's not going to go back with their biological family. Anyway, I'll get to adopt them. And it's just like a way to not have to go through private adoption. Mm -hmm. And I think the hard thing with foster care is like, you have to go into it knowing like, Hey, my first priority where it's possible is going to be to help families reunify. And there was something really meaningful and really loving in that. And then there's also something where like, you know, we've had people before when we've talked about potentially being able to adopt our kids be like, Oh my God, congratulations. That's so good for them. We've had people say, you know, um, I'm sure it'll be nice to not have to deal with biological parents anymore, which to us, I think like we're a little bit taken aback by that. And we'll have to quickly correct that to say, like, do you think that their families just disappear when we adopt them? Yeah. Like, do you, because to us, it's our responsibility to maintain that relationship mm-hmm. forever because yeah. that's, that's our child's family. And so I think, and so to me, it's like, no, it's not that our, their biological family will, will never have to deal with them again, doing heavy air quotes for anybody who can't see, which is everyone, because this is a podcast, but you know, it's not that it's that actually like we are merging families with them is really more like what's happening. Right. And having to negotiate what that looks like. And so I think too, it's, it's about knowing it's not just about bringing kids into your family. A lot of the time it's about their extended family too. And being, being ready to, to navigate that. And also knowing that like, it's messy, (laughs) it's just messy. And that's part of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of what you guys were touching on too, like, I think people coming into foster care, you know, thinking about being foster parents, I think there's a lot of misconceptions about what happens when you do become a foster parent, like, like how you guys were saying, oh, they're, they're never going to return to their biological family. They may be telling me that that's the first step that they're going to try to do, but it won't happen. So I'll be able to adopt when it's in reality, like, no, we're going to try our very best to reunify this child even if it takes years, say. Um, So that's something too that myself as the recruitment specialist and who starts this process with people who are just inquiring, try and make that very clear. Um, Because a lot of people will inquire and I'll be on the phone with them and you know, some of their first questions are regarding adoption. And I want them to be aware that while it could be possible to adopt a child that you were caring for through our agency, it could one, take a very long time, or it could unfortunately not happen for you because our first step is always to try to reunify the child with their birth parent. And that's something to keep in mind when making your decision about whether or not you want to become a foster parent, because, you know, a child could, like how you guys were saying, you had a child in your home for two years and they were reunified with their birth parents. So like, you form that bond with that child for two full years. That's a very long time. And then, you know, they went back with their birth parent and that is a reality of foster care and being a foster parent, like you guys were saying. So making that very clear from the start, I think is very important. Um, Because like I said, people have a lot of misconceptions about foster care and what exactly happens. Um, And not many people do even know that the first step is to try and reunify a child with their birth parent. Um, a lot of people think that a child is just in foster care awaiting to be adopted. Um, so definitely making that clear and to people who are interested in becoming foster parent and understanding that like how you guys were saying it, it can be a very emotional process, but it does have, you know, the joyful moments of seeing a child reunify with the birth parent, but also like this, this hurts us too, because like we love this child so much and we loved having them. So yeah, it's definitely important making all of that clear as soon as you possibly can. Yeah. And I think, you know, all of that to say it's it, we're more of like a calling people into that, you know, like I think some people are like, oh, I can't handle that emotional toll, right? I think yeah. that's where that question comes from is like, oh, maybe I can't handle it. But I think what we're trying to say is just embrace it. 
like if you go in and you're with that openness willing to embrace whatever the experience is it will teach you and it will grow you and you will have beautiful connections to people you may never would have had a connection to otherwise like it expands your definition of family um I think sometimes when we talk about this AJ and I come across like we're dissuading people from being foster parents but I think what we're trying to say is like this is beautiful and magical in its own unique way of building family and understanding community and it's worth it yeah but it's sacrificial at the same time it asks Um, a lot of it asks a lot of you it asks a lot of you but I also think like and this is just my orientation like as a person as like I'm a life coach like this is just my jam like I think people can handle harder stuff than they believe they can handle generally Mm -hmm. like I think that somebody saying, oh, I don't know if I could handle the heartbreak of that. I, I think, yeah, I, it sounds, it's scary and it is right. It's like, it's a big task. And at the same time, I do think more people would be able to do it than maybe think that they could. Yeah. And I also think, you know, one of my, um, good friends from Instagram who does not even live in the United States, but who is a foster mom, um, said in response to this question that if, it, if being a foster parent doesn't break your heart at least a little bit for like everyone involved, then you're doing it wrong, mm-hmm. right? It's very emotional work. It's really, there's trauma inherent in anyone who's involved in child welfare. It's a traumatic system to be involved in. It's being separated from your family of origin is traumatic, right? Regardless of the circumstance. And so I think there is some acknowledgement of that too. Like it's, yeah, it's hard. But I also think, yeah, the moments that are joyful are so worth it. I mean, I think about when we, you know, we've had one of our kiddos we've had for four years, like literally since the day, two days after we got certified, she and her brother came to live with us. And her brother is the one who's been reunified with a biological parent. She's still with us. And then we had one kiddo who came to live with us at the beginning of COVID. So we just hit two years with him. (laughs) And they are, you know, they've been a part of our family for a while. We're like, a unit very much. And we recently did a shorter term respite placement, which for anybody who doesn't know, like respite is like, meaning we would give relief to like a a foster parent who like just needs a break for a little bit or where they know the placement is going to be short term, which some people do placements like that as their only types of placements, right? Some people do those occasionally and prefer longer term, right? For us, we kind of are, we went into this kind of open to literally anything. Um, but we had a respite placement and we talked to our kids about it. We said, we're thinking about, you know, there's a, there's two kids, they're these ages, like they might come stay with us for a while. And to see the way that our kids welcome other kids into our home and want to make them feel safe and taken care of is like, that's something special on its own. Right. I think, and I think that's whether you're a foster parent and these are your foster kids, whether you're a parent who has biological kids who is like, how is this going to affect them, right? Like, I think there is, it is emotionally intense to then have to, I mean, we said goodbye to them and that was hard. And we had all of our mixed feelings all over the place about that transition. But I think kids are resilient. And I think the more that we bring them along in that process, I mean, our kids are as much a part of making other kids feel welcome here as we are. Oh yeah. One, I think kids are so much more able to be hospitable in some oh, ways yeah. than grown-ups are. We get all set in our ways. And uh, the kids, you know, they need to learn to share toys, but they also know how to have a good time and play together and giggle and laugh and do all those things that are so important when you're yeah. going through a hard time in your life too. So it's really yeah. special. Yeah, I mean, I just think like our kids like wanted to like sh- figure out which stuffed animals they could share on the first night. but. Uh-huh the new kids were here like our our 10 year old was like what do you think they like to eat for dinner like should we make that the first night that they're here right so things like that that I'm like that's those are the types of values we want to have for our family anyway right like we want to be a place that people can come when they need somewhere to go and so you know I think foster care has has been a big part of I mean it's it also is just how we've built our family from being just the two of us to being more humans but it's a big part of that yeah um, so there was another question in here that I am interested in, in y'all's take on. So somebody asked, how do you prepare your home for a child, especially if you don't know what age they will be beforehand? Do you all have, have thoughts about that? <clears throat> so from 
my perspective, I would say that at NAC, we try our very best to make the matching process a very in-depth process, one that, you know, there's a lot of conversation about. And by matching process, I mean the process of matching a foster parent with a child in care when the foster parent is about to be licensed. Um, so that's a conversation that we, you know, we have often. It's open. That's like a safe space for you to be very honest about what you're comfortable with in terms of caring for a child with severe needs or mild needs or whatever the case may be. Um, and, you know, we receive your preferences as a foster parent in terms of our children throughout the entire licensing process, starting with the first initial phone call with myself. I ask you, do you have any preferences in terms of age or gender, whatever the case, how many children, siblings, things like that. Um, and then just as your time through the licensing process, those will just be conversations that come up um, until our intake social workers give you a call and start to talk to you about some of the kiddos who do need a placement. Um, so I would, I would say that for the most part, there's a good chance that you will know the child before, you know, they're being placed with you. You do have the option of having a visit with them before placement. So whether that be currently, I think most of them are on Zoom, unfortunately, because of the pandemic, but I think they're starting to try and have them in person. So going out to the children's center, just so the child can, you can get a feel for the child, but also the child can see you before moving into your home because they are essentially moving in with the stranger. Um, so making them very comfortable in that sense, at least they can put you know a face to the name of where they are going. Um, so to answer the question, I would say that we try our very best to have you know everything that we could, that we know about the child. We try and relay that information to you so that you are prepared and that you can make an informed decision. Am I comfortable with this? Does my lifestyle fit what this child needs in terms of can I get them to all their appointments? Can I accommodate the schedule of those family visits? Can I get them to and from school? Things like that. Um, there are cases where there can be emergency placements where, you know, it may be that we're calling you up and we say we have a child who desperately needs a home. Can we bring them to your home? Um, which, of course, then in those situations, it's much harder to prepare because you don't have as much time. Um, but I would say at NAC, we definitely have those very in-depth conversations to appropriately match you with the child because we want both you and the child to feel very comfortable with the match. And we want it to be as best of a match as it can be, you know, that we can possibly give with what we have and what resources we have. So, yeah, that's really good. I think, you know, what was interesting for us is like, like you mentioned, um, throughout the process of like getting trained there, there are many questions of like, what, yeah, what is your age preference? Do you have like, you know, gender preference, which a lot of that I think comes to from like, do you have existing like children in the home? The gender makeup would kind of inform that because of, you know, age and gender requirements for like room sharing for kids, for example. Um, at, at NAC, they also will ask about kind of different like medical or behavioral conditions kiddos could have and whether you feel comfortable supporting kids in that. Um, that, you know, specifically is because NAC is a special medical program that works with kids who have special needs of all kinds. Um, and so, you know, we went through that process and this just speaks, I think, more to our personalities than anything, but we kind of were like, sure, whatever, like, whatever, you know, like, <laughs> we'll, great. any yeah, age, like, not a baby. I think we right. basically said like, if they're in school age and up, I think we said five and up. Yeah. And we just assumed because we assumed because kind of like the cultural narrative is like teenagers are harder to place. Right. So we were like, oh, we'll get a teenager. We're going to depress teenagers. Yes. I was Here like, that's, go. that's what's going to happen. And so, <laughs> so we, oh my God. So we, um, we got a, we had a roommate who had been living with us and moved out a few months before we got certified. And so we just kind of left her room as it was. There was a full size bed in there, assuming that a teenager was going to be in there. And then a couple of days after we got certified, um, we got the phone call about our first placement and they were like, we know you said five and up, um, but we have a three and four year old sibling pair. <laughs> so they ended up being it was completely outside of the realm you know and with NAC like we and we've developed now a great relationship with the team that calls about specific kids right so they know us very well and we've kind of told them like always call us and if it's not going to work we'll tell you mm -hmm. but you know when they call they might say like we know this is outside of the scope of what 
what you've said is, is possible for you, but here's the case, here's all of the information. Um, and so we ended up, we weren't appropriately set up for our first placement. And so we actually ended up having to get a bunk bed, which I think we, I think Nat like supported us in being able to get that ordered and everything. And so we, we kind of had to make the adjustment. Um, but we did have lead time of a few weeks, kind of, as you spoke to, we got to meet the kids first. Um, and with following placements, it's kind of gone similarly where we have, a, we give, you know, the amount of lead time that we need in order to get set up. And then we have that time to kind of prepare and get ready. Um, but you know, what, something we tell a lot of people who talk to us who are like first time foster parents who are like, what do I need to know about my first placement? We talk a lot about that, like intake call when you get the phone call from the social worker, that's like, we have a kid here. Can you take them? So I think there's a lot of anxiety about that. I mean, there was kind of for us, like, uh, are we just going to say yes to anything? Like, you know, what questions do we ask? And now over time, we like, it's, we have our list of questions down pat, the things that we ask, like we know, but it's, you know, we always encourage foster parents to ask a bunch of questions, write everything down. And then for us, our, our practice generally is to say like, we need a night to think about it if that's possible. Like you said, sometimes there's emergency placements where that's not possible, but mm -hmm. you know, um, we will, we'll ask about like, what's their, do they have visits with biological family? What's that schedule? Like, what are their medical needs? Do they have dietary needs? Are there, are they allergic to pets? Right. We have a cat and a dog, right. Mm -hmm. have... Where is their school located? <laughs> <laughs> that's, a, that's a fun one in New York. Yeah. yeah. Where do they go to school currently and do they have busing to get them there? Right. Mm -hmm. But all these kind of like logistical questions that really help to inform like is the placement going to work and can you make it work and I think we also remind people that it's okay to say no it's okay to say this it's the best advice we got yes it's okay to say no and we were we were reminded of that every step of the way by everyone at NAC by the way which is another reason why we appreciate so much working with that agency is that that folks will remind us like it's okay to say no like it is fine um and you know that's something we encourage other foster parents to do as well yeah, but we have had many like mad dashes to Target to like <laughs> get kid plates or like, uh oh, we need a new fitted sheet for our bed or something. You know? Yeah, we um, most recently we had a really fun IKEA trip to get a, another bunk bed. But I mean, for us, that's part of the fun of it, though. And again, some of this may be the, you know, idios idiosyncrasies what's that word <laughs> idiosyncrasies idiosyncrasies of our personalities right and like our our vibe and what we enjoy but to me that's some of the most fun the nesting yes yeah the, the kind of preparation and before chaos descends of like let's adjust to and what you know we recently had a point where we had four elementary school children living in our home in our brooklyn apartment wow. so that it was it was chaotic it was yeah. chaotic, but there's joy in that too you know yeah <laughs> oh goodness okay I'm looking at some of these questions um you know we kind of talked about people talk a lot about like what are the supports that you that you have when you're a foster parent and kind of what does that look like I think a thing people don't like to talk about is um do you get paid to be a foster parent or like yeah. is there money or financial yeah. support and so like I want to make sure we name that because I think that I think people feel weird asking about it because being a foster parent feels like like a do-gooder thing to do. And so to ask about if there's a financial support component, I think feels crass. Like people will ask us about it and kind of whisper. Yeah. Like, do, you, do you get paid for that? Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, the answer I would give is like, there's a, there is a stipend that it's called a board rate that you get every month. It's, it varies based on at least through, at least in New York, at least through NAC, it varies based on the child's kind of level of need, how much you know, how much need they have, how many kind of special accommodations they have. Um, and really that's meant to cover like food, clothes, like the basic care and keeping of the child. Um, so, so there is a financial kind of support element um, if, you're, if you're licensed as a foster parent and when you have a placement. Definitely, yeah. Anything we would add about that? Um, but I think, so I think that's the financial support piece. Yeah. But yeah, there are, I mean, there are many supports available. We work with the number of adults that we talk to on like a weekly basis or a monthly basis about kind of like checking in on our kids or like who support us with different things. Like we have, the kids have a caseworker who kind of manages like any family visits they have is also working with the bio parent, right? So that's like a case planner. Um, 
we have one of our kiddos has a I never remember the name of the program but there's like another program because he has a like special health need above and beyond so he has a case planner through that who also is offering support for example right now she is helping us to look into getting funding for the kids to go to summer camp this summer so like there's there's always a person who can like help you look into a thing or investigate getting a service in place for you like there are you know like we said there are therapists and behavior specialists abound you know <laughs> who are working with the kiddos yeah so, did I miss anybody the, the one of the, our most crucial supports is the education team yes um, oh good one Thank so you. you know a lot of kids in foster care have individual education plans IEPs through New York City public schools and um and the education team helps us understand that helps us understand the process um comes, I think, comes to meetings with teachers and with staff to help us advocate for what we need they do site visits and observe the kids in school um and you know our role as the foster parents is to be um advocates right and yeah. to do what we can to support our kids and protect them mm-hmm. and uh managing their educational needs is a huge aspect that we really have, have learned a lot and relied on the next education team a lot yeah. I mean, you guys, you guys touched on it, you know, every child and their foster parents and their birth parents have an interdisciplinary team that involves so many different workers at our agency. You know, if your child has healthcare needs, you'll be in touch with all their doctors and the nurses, whether that be at NAC or their, you know, their outside providers, case management, education professionals. Yeah. I mean, you guys touched on it all. You have the firsthand experience of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think too, I mean, I will say like, I, when we talk about kids with special needs, we're talking, like we're talking medical needs. We're talking everything from like having asthma all the way to like, you know, using a wheelchair to, you know, the, the, there's a big range of kind of like what those medical needs could look like. Right. So, you know, um, and then in addition to that, you know, behavioral developmental needs. So whether that is a mental health diagnosis, whether that's a kiddo being on the autism spectrum, right? And, you know, every kid has kind of tailored supports to those needs, which is great. So there are, you know, different departments at NAC, a really robust team that is tasked with supporting them in whatever, whatever their specific kind of area of concern is, which is great. Oh, you know what we forgot? What? Um, the medical team, there's a doc, at NAC is unique because it has a full medical clinic on yes. site. And yeah. so our kids get seen by the doctors there. And in our first year of foster parenting, um, our kids got hand, foot and mouth disease. Which, <laughs> I forgot uh, about that. So common, you know, yeah. it, you know, presents like you get a fever and you get little sores and I definitely got it. And so not only did the NAC doctor diagnose them, he diagnosed me as well. Um, he was like, stick out your tongue. He was What's like, happening? Sores in your throat. And he was like, mm-hmm. oh, wow. <laughs> that looks painful. Well, and it was. It was very painful. Uh, <laughs> really, like, just also just a lovely I mean like we our kids have checkups with the with the medical team they that's where they get you know often they'll go there and they'll get their flu shots you know things like that and that's it's also a team of folks who work with kids in foster care specifically that's the population and so they understand you know all of the staff are trauma-informed in the work that they do which is so important right um, because you two will become trauma-informed as a foster parent <laughs> if you're not trauma-informed already and you know which is just so important right and it's what that's what makes NAC such a special special agency is is you know having all of those dimensions of care in a really holistic way you know I have a question yeah great so obviously AJ you and I are white queer couple yes you know correct and uh so far we have not uh, provided foster care for a white queer child. That's right. <laughs> so there we are, we, you know, have kids who look different than us, who come from different socioeconomic backgrounds, who have different racial identities than us. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm interested in how NAC thinks about that and supports foster parents who 
or maybe, you know, having transracial parenting mm-hmm. um, and how you think about that. Totally. I would love to hear from you, Marissa, what, okay. what kind of your immediate thoughts are on that. Yeah, I mean, my immediate thought, excuse me, um, thoughts are, you know, we support our foster parents and our children, no matter what their identity is. You know, we, at the end of the day, what we want is for the child to have stability and permanency. Um, so, you know, that that is always our main goal. Um, we have... I'll specifically touch on our safe haven services, which are specifically for our LGBTQIA plus identifying youth and foster parents. So that is, um, I'm not exactly sure where the safe haven is located, but I know it's in New York City and we contract with them to give supports to our LGBTQIA plus identifying youth and families. Um, since I've been at NAC, I know that, um, I've always seen, you know, we have the staff has to be trained in all different, you know, trauma informed, racial equity, LGBTQ, so many different things so that we, you know, are treating our families and our children the way they deserve to be treated. Um, And I know our foster parents, one of the main trainings that they have to go through to be certified is LGBTQ training. so I think as an agency, we're, we definitely have taken steps, you know, as society has, you know, made some progress. I mean, that's a whole different conversation to have about different right. social justice things and the progress and the one step forward, three steps back type of thing. But I think as an agency, you know, we um, have definitely, I think I would like to believe, and I think that we are doing a good job in just, you know, treating everyone equally, whether that be our staff, our foster parents, our birth parents, our children, no matter what the experience is. Um, And I think that kind of ties back to also what we were talking about, about the misconceptions that people have about foster care in general. Specifically, I hear a lot of misconceptions about birth parents. Um, You know, the child is in care because they they made these horrible, poor choices that got their child removed from the home and they don't deserve them anymore. And all these terrible misconceptions when it's really, you don't know the situation, you don't know what they've been through. So, you know, we're going to work our very best to do what's best for the child. And if that's reunifying the child, we're going to do that no matter what. And if that's getting the child adopted, that's what we're going to do. Because at the end of the day, like I said, what we want is that permanent stability for the child, um, despite their identity or you know their past circumstances and things like that um I hope that answers the question if not totally no that's great thank you I mean I think yeah I think for us like that was something especially or I mean it's an ongoing thing that we're mindful of and the conversations that we're having in our home about specifically about racial identity and difference especially as our kids are our kids are now at an age where they're talking about that a lot and that's these are just routine conversations in our house. But, you know, initially there was some, I think for us, there was a big learning curve of understanding that like, at least for me, I'll speak for myself. Like I kind of went into it with a, like uh, any child of any race, like I would love the honor to be a parent of and like, yes, go into it with like the big giant heart. And then I realized like, oh, there are, there are going to be limitations that I have as a parent in not sharing kind of the lived experience of being the same race as my child. And so I I think the solution to that is not like, let me only, let me say that I'm going to limit myself to having white foster children, right? Or like kids who look like me or share my identities, but to say like, there is a big commitment that you're making when you're, when you're agreeing to parent a child, a traumatized child to be able to say, okay, and I want to understand how their identity one, just their identity in general and kind of the importance of that and ensuring that, you know, I'm not just, I'm not parenting black children and only bringing them around white people because that's all that my friends and coworkers are as other white people, right? But, you know, I think it's also, it's also about understanding that like in many ways, the system that creates having children in foster care is, you know, based on, criminalizing poverty essentially I mean like is the reality and I think that's that's not to say like every situation is different and in many ways like kids can be removed from really dangerous situations and a lot of the time like the child welfare system really targets black and brown families and that is a trauma in and of itself and so I think there's a big responsibility that we have 
to kind of continue to educate and immerse ourselves and really understand that and operate from a place that is that is informed by that understanding. And I think we do that imperfectly because we're human, but I think we, that is one of the top priorities in our parenting is really how that is showing up. I think, and I think that's to speak to the racial element. I also think the, the kind of queerness piece of it, like we have, you know, had kids in our home who express in some ways like gender non-conforming preferences or pieces of their identity or things. And I think it's important to us to really create non-judgmental, safe, encouraging space for that, especially when they've, you know, in these cases, they've come from other environments where that's not safe and not okay. And there's like internalized homophobia already at like age eight, when a kid comes to us that we're working to undo, you know? Um, So yeah, I think that's like another huge thing to think about is, you know, are you sort of prepared to really immerse yourself in the learning of that? I mean, it's, and it's humbling, I will tell you. Because there's a, there are a lot of moments that I'm like, this is, there, there are things that I'm just not going to be able to completely understand, which is not an excuse to not try, but it is, as Laura knocks down our garbage can, it is, um, that's not an excuse to not try, it's, yeah. but it's, it's recognizing that you then have to kind of engage in the, the process of understanding better. Yeah, well, oh, go for it. No, no, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was going to say, and kids will call you to account. (laughs) So our kids have asked the most direct questions about all of these aspects of difference. Um, And they want to know what we think. And they want to know what's okay. And they uh, will respond. If your answer doesn't make them feel safe or included, you are going to see that either with their ability to articulate it or in their behavior right? Um, Because the way they act says more sometimes than what they're able to say. Um, And so it's been hugely important for us to just stay on that learning track and also be open to the fact that we need to um, live our lives in such a way that our kids can stay connected to their culture and to the culture of their family. And we need to learn about that and investigate about it for them too. So that when they get older, we have answers and we can have them already involved in spaces that reflect who they are yeah. where they come from and a, that's also a piece that makes it so important if you can to keep them connected with their biological family mm-hmm. you know um if that's safe and possible to do which in our experience it has been mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i mean that's great to hear too because I, I mean one of the main things that we talk about with people who are in crying to be foster parents is like really just remaining open-minded you know like throughout from start until you know your entire time as a foster parent is remaining open-minded um so whether that mean like the needs that your child that you might care for um is going to have or their identity like really just remaining open-minded and understanding that like they may be different from you um in terms of their identity and it's important just like really just reiterating everything you guys were saying and how like wanting them to stay in touch with their culture and their identity while they are away from their biological family. Um, I think that's really important. It's really great because that is something, of course, you look for in finding foster parents when recruiting foster parents. You know, you hope that anyone who's inquiring is going to have that mindset, um, but you don't really know until you learn so much more about them through the process. So you can hope, but it's great, you know, when you find foster parents like you guys who are so good with that and, you know, helping the child stay in touch with their identity and stay close with their bio family. I mean, that's just, that's like the ideal experience to have for sure. Oh, you know what we should say is that um, you're in some Facebook groups that have been like really helpful with some of the stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And connected to other like spaces where transracial foster parenting and adoption is kind of the subject of conversation Mm -hmm. and also it's been a huge way of building trust with bio families too you know like that we get our kids hair done correctly is really important for maintaining that relationship yeah Um, so that's yeah been huge yeah absolutely yeah I think I'll um I'll find what the groups are actually called and link them in the in the show notes for this episode. But I, the ones that are coming to mind for me, there's a, a Facebook group, and I think you have to request to join them. But one is transracial adoption perspectives. One is 
culturally fluent families. Um, and I think there are more, but like I said, I'll, I'll list them out, but they, these are, I mean, they exist on Facebook for free. There are like some pretty, pretty intense community guidelines that exist, which I think are fair. And like, that's important because there are people kind of doing free labor of educating others. And it's, you get to experience perspectives of folks kind of from all over the people will say like the adoption or foster care triad. So like foster parents or adoptive parents, um, adoptees or like kids who people who are involved in foster care as kids and then biological parents as well and kind of getting to hear all of those perspectives which I think is really important and is I mean for me has been in many ways challenging right like there's there's a lot of like being able to sit in discomfort and recognize yeah. like you know in a white supremacist culture where I was very much ingrained to believe like oh I have all the answers within me I do not and like really accepting that and being willing to to listen and hear and understand the perspectives of others has been really important and to, you know, find places to, to get that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I think we've touched on just about everything. I'm curious if, you know, and in a minute, Marissa, I'll have you share how folks can get in touch with you if they're interested, if they're in New York, but, Absolutely. you know, I'm curious before we wrap up, if you all have things that you want to make sure we cover that we haven't, if you have like a common misconception that you would want to correct about foster care or like a question you get a lot that you would want to give the answer to now? I think a common misconception that I get a lot is that um, a lot of people inquire and they don't realize that they can be single and still be a foster parent. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to be married. You don't have to have a partner like living mm -hmm. together. You can be single. Um, and I think that makes people not inquire at first because they don't think that they can do it. Yeah. Um, but you definitely can if you're a single, you know, we welcome everyone, whether that means you're single, married, divorced, partners living together, whatever the case may be. Um, as long as you are 21, have adequate living space and a form of income, you are good to go. Um, so I think that's definitely a misconception. And we also touched upon the other misconception that always comes to mind about um, permanency and reunifying a child with their birth parent and adoption and things like that, which we touched upon a lot. But I would say those are the main misconceptions that I think a lot of people have that I've talked to um, when inquiring to become a foster parent. Yeah. Anything for you? Yeah. I would just say that in my experience, being a foster parent has been the most enriching, best thing I could do with my life. And I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm afraid of these kids or I'm afraid of these families, but it has been the biggest gift to me to know them and to love them and to be loved in return. And we have learned so much along the way. We have um, seen different experiences of life, um, but mostly we just know these kids and get to see them grow up and learn and be curious and all of those wonderful things and it's just the best so sign like don't let the fear of what it is stop you from being becoming a foster parent like yeah. take the jump call marissa find out start the trainings and see um and don't be too afraid to just get started and part of our experience was so we reached out and then very quickly we were in an orientation and then we were in training. And before we even knew it, we were like ready to have a kid in care. So, you know, it's like, once you get started, it, it's easy to just get moving in the process. And it seems overwhelming. It seems like a lot, but just take the first step. And yeah. then the next step will become apparent. And then the next step, and then soon you'll have a kid in your house that you get to love. Yeah. So if somebody's ready to take that step, Marissa, what do they need to do? How can they get in touch with you? So um, on our website, newalternativesforchildren.com, I think is the website, um, there is a tab about getting involved and there's an inquiry form and you can fill that form out and it'll be sent right to me. It just has basic information about you, like your name, uh, what city you're living in, um, are you at least 21, documented form of income, that will get sent to me via email, and then I reach out to you. Um, that link is also available on our Instagram page, NAC Foster Parents. Um, so in our bio, there is a link that'll take you right to that inquiry form. Um, and on that same page, there's also a number you can call that will send, um, that is our recruitment line. So it will be sent to myself and my supervisor, and then we can contact you that way. Um, so I would say that would be the best way to get in touch. 
Amazing. Okay. And I'll put all of that too in the show notes so folks can look there and can see yes. that. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. It has thank been really great. Me. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You guys are awesome. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you loved it, please take a second to subscribe on your favorite platform, leave a rating or a review, and take a screenshot and share it on social media or with a friend who needs to hear a message like this one. I love the chance to hear from you and connect with you because it gives me the opportunity to remind you that you are worthy, worthy of wholeness and happiness and just good things. So send me the question or the topic that's keeping you up at night or that you just want to hear more about. You can send me a voice memo at anchor.fm slash Aubrey Henderson. And I can actually include any voice memos that you send me in the show, which I think is pretty bad. Or you can send a good old fashioned written message from my website at aubreyhenderson.com. I'll see you next time, babes.